Well, good morning. Once again, my name is Ryan. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at City Church. It's good to be with you online. Um, if uh, you've noticed, we've had just a few minor technical difficulties. We hope we've insulated you from those, but I'm just going to give a moment for our technical team to ensure that we are all reoriented and everything is going smoothly. Um, thank you for your grace and your mercy as we always are learning new things and uh, trying our best to minister to you. As Pastor Kyle said, we long for the day when we don't any longer have to do this, and we are uh, working towards that end, and we'll uh, hopefully see that. I do want to just say that as we began to process um, our re-entry into life. I never thought in my life I'd have to use that phrase, re-entry into normal life. What does that even mean? But anyway, as I think about that, as we process through that and process leading our church in that, um, know that uh, we, we are just seeking the wisdom of the Lord in that, as, as Pastor Kyle said. Um, also, I want to just exhort and ask that as people of God, uh, we have an opportunity, a, a witness to the world of how we process through this. And uh, if you haven't uh, been familiar with this, Romans 14 gives us very good clarity on how we should operate when we view the world differently than others. And that means that some might say that we should just jump right in and everything should be back to normal uh, immediately. And others are going to take a more cautious approach to that and navigating that. And neither of those things are wrong. And it's our place to display grace and kindness uh, towards one another, encourage one another in whatever um, uh folks do as they lead out. And so even churches are going to kind of handle this differently. There are some that are doing one thing and others that are going to do another thing. That does not make them wrong. And so we just uh, show grace and um, realize that everyone is doing their very best to care for their families, to take care of their uh, organizations, their churches, and so on. And so just a quick word about that. In light of that, as uh, Kyle read for us uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, we are um, at a point where uh, we are diving into this idea of how our lives lived out in light of all that Paul has said in chapters 1 through 3, and then sort of reframing the body of Christ, essentially saying, this is who you are individually. And now in chapter 4, he says, I have established the church, and the church is here to equip you and to to minister to you and to encourage you, to teach you the truth, to come alongside and rebuke and do all the things. And that in a sense that the church, the body of Christ, is now uh, the most important in a sense. We have our individual physical bodies and our lives as Christians that are a part of the body of Christ, and we can't weigh one of those really as more value than the other. The church, though, is the witness, the visible witness to the world. And so he goes through that teaching in chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, he begins to now talking about, because of that, this is who you are to be. And he, at the beginning of chapter 5, he tells the um, a, a church in Ephesus that no longer are they to walk as Gentiles do. They're not supposed to live as who they once were, but this new identity, again, this new body, this new life in Christ is supposed to direct everything that they do. And as a result, all of their relationships change. And so as we work our way through chapter 5, we're going to see that it changes our marriages. It changes how we relate as mothers and children and then in, as masters and slaves. These three human institutions, these three human relationships that Paul is addressing in this church, he's basically saying all three of those, which are the primary for uh, a way of, of living and the primary relationships that they deal with, they no longer look at them in the same way. And that's where we begin. And... Ephesians 5, verse 22 and following, 
Paul begins this talk on marriage. But in order for us to really understand what Paul is saying and for us to grasp uh, the truth of what Christian marriage should look like, what God was doing in marriage, we have to go back and look a little, you know, sort of backwards in the text to get the context of what Paul is saying. You know, when we think about authority, I would ask you, what, what do you think about when you hear the word authority? For most of us, we love the idea of having authority, but few of us like the idea of being under authority. One of the evidences of the fall, the reality of sin being a part of our world that we cannot deny, although some would try to say and not use the word sin and not believe that it's a real thing, that you can actually do something against God. But one of the evidences of that fall of sin in our life is our rebellion against any authority. Mothers and fathers, you know it starts when we are young, when our children push back. Kids and students that are gathering with us, how often do you find yourself pushing back against the authority that God has put in your life? People who, yes, brought you into life, ultimately, ultimately that's God, but they, they were the ones that were God used as the instruments to give you life, but then care for you and love you and do all of these things, and as soon as you are able, some of you might have the first words was, no, I won't. We constantly push back against authority. Our, our inclination is to do that, to say, I don't want to have anyone be able to tell me what to do. And in our culture, that's been, in a sense, sort of magnified to the point where the, the self-directed, this is where the roots of that phrase, follow your heart, know your truth, that we talked a lot about last week, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't had an opportunity or watch it. But that's where some of those things come in. It's because we don't want to say that there's anyone who says that this is the truth and this can be the way and this is how you should do things. We do not like authority. But the way that we live our lives is how Christ has called us. And what uh, Pastor Kyle read for us there, beginning in verse 17 and following of uh, Ephesians chapter 5, this is what he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is saying that everything about our lives is reoriented around Christ. And as a result, yes, the world might push back against this and might rebel against this, but we are called to submit to one another. We are to live lives of deference. Essentially saying that within the body of Christ, that you count more than me. Does that sound familiar? Consider others greater than yourself. Now, our submission to one another is modeled after Christ. We are to live as Christ lived. And so we can look to Jesus as our example, who he was the model of that. Christ lived his entire life on this earth completely in submission to the will of the Father. John 4, 34, said, he, Jesus says, My will is to do the will of him who sent me. I don't do anything on my own. 
Jesus lived completely in submission to the Father. Now, if Jesus, the one that we love to celebrate his birth, we even more love to celebrate his resurrection just a few weeks ago, if Jesus, the God of the universe who holds all things in his power, the, the Son, as I say all the time, week after week, I like to remind us of this, the Son is there this morning because Jesus said it would be there. It's under his control, his authority. And he says, I submit to the will of the Father. Now, if Jesus can do that, then we as his created people, people who have been given new life, who've been raised from death to life, should be able to very easily say, I willingly submit my life to you, Jesus. Here is my heart. And as a result, I will be obedient to this word that says I should submit my life to my brothers and sisters. And so if a brother comes to me and says this or that, In a sense, I'll hear the words of Jesus. He asked for a mile, I'll go with him two miles because that is how we live out of love. And so our model, Jesus lived this perfectly. We don't have to look far to know how it is that we are called to live. But we also submit our lives to Christ because we're following after him or our lives are modeled after him. We also recognize that he is our Lord. He has redeemed us. And then so out of reverence for him, this is what he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we live this life of submission to one another and living peaceably amongst one another with deference to one another, we bring reverence, we honor the Lord. And so our relationships with one another is what he's saying here. In a sense, they're a display of what Jesus has done internally, but also what he has created in this new body, the church. This is how we are to live. We're supposed to look differently than the rest of the world. All around us. Right now, perhaps we've been a little bit too, we've been removed, and so maybe this is a little bit of a distant memory for you. But all around us, I believe we can recall, and maybe even some are experiencing it now, backbiting, anger, malice, attacks, gossip, all things that should never show up within the body of Christ. All things that essentially are driven by, I will have it my way no matter who I have to kill to get there. That's not what the body of Christ looks like. And so even in the simplicity of showing deference and love to one another, we show honor for the Lord and we display him. The world doesn't understand why I would not die on every hill that I believe I want to die on. They don't understand when I say, you know, I'm going to give it a pass. Yeah, he cut into my yard a little bit too far, but I'm not worried about it. And I'm not worried about my lawn, by the way. That's a metaphor, just in case my neighbors are watching. (laughs) Paul tells us that this is how we're to live. And this goes back, if we take this back even further into how Paul is describing, he really gets to the heart of this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. What he is saying, all of this that he is doing, what God is doing and how we are called to live is in a sense to bring back into the world God's given order. This is what he says Jesus is doing through us, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is Ephesians chapter one, verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He's saying that we have been redeemed through Jesus' blood, just a few verses earlier, in order that God might restore all things in their proper order under the authority of Christ. Everything would be put back the way it was. I don't know about you, but my family's been spending a lot of time watching movies late at night. Um, that's how we kind of end our day during quarantine period. And uh, as a result, our evenings and mornings are a little bit quite off kilter. Um, but uh, as a result, we are, have been watching uh, the Harry Potter series. And so every uh, few nights, we've, we've added a, a, a new one, and we, we did just finish it this last week. Um, and I will confess that I am not a Harry Potter, uh, Harry, <laughs> Harry Potter expert, all right? And uh, as a result, as you can just hear in that, but one of the scenes that struck me as we were watching this movie is Dumbledore, who is the chief magician and teacher and all of that, and I know I'm getting it all wrong, and all of my Harry Potter fans are yelling at me, including my own sons right, right now are yelling at the screen, but Dumbledore... He takes Harry to visit a house, and as they enter this house, the house is in complete disarray. Everything in the house is broken. The ceiling is on the floor. The walls are tumbled in. Furniture is turned upside down, all these sorts of things. Harry looks quite scared and fearful while Dumbledore just seems to be sort of navigating around looking for something. And they ultimately find this friend of Dumbledore's that is from some ancient past, and I don't know the guy's name, and so again, forgive me and all these things. But what happens after... After they find the friend who was disguised as an armchair and he stands up and they all talk about whatever they needed to talk about, Dumbledore then casts a spell and everything starts going back to its proper place. The ceiling from the floor rises up and the pictures go back on the wall. The furniture is all turned right side up. All of the mess is cleared. The water and the blood that was dripping from the ceiling goes away down to the, the flicker of the flames in the candlelight, and the last little picture is corrected and put straight. In a sense, this is what God is doing in our world through Jesus. As He has come into the world and He is making all things new, it's a continual process according to God's perfect and timeless plan to restore all things to what Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says, to the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a fullness, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's what God is doing in our world. One day, Jesus will have rule over everything Everything, the enemies will be his footstool, as the prophecies say. And so, as Christians who have been a part of this renewal, we who've put our faith in Christ have been raised from death to life. We've been made new, and now we've been given one another and been called into this new body, this new Christian fellowship called the church. We then live that out. And when we are saved, Christ becomes our head, our Lord, our authority. The puzzle, piece by piece, is a little less jumbled, and the picture becomes more clear, and one day it will all be perfect, just like it was in the garden. And so, as Paul explains how God is at work in uniting all things under Christ as the authority, and restoring the world to the way he intended it to be, he now comes to our human relationships, how we relate to one another 
And he says there in 21 that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he turns to our most common institutions, our relationships. And he begins speaking about marriage, speaking about men and women. Now, I want to go back. I'm going to read for you before we get to verse 22 from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read for you Genesis 2, 15 through 24, because this is also helpful for us to have in mind as we think about marriage. How did God create us? What did he intend when he created us as men and women, male and female? The Lord God, this is verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is after Adam has seen all of the animals and seen that they all have a partner, a helper. There's two of every one, and he's named them all. And God sees it's not good. After seeing all of creation was good, this is an area that God says this is not good. Verse 19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib uh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, oh my gosh, she fine. No, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is how God created man and woman. You can read of the account in Genesis 1. One of the things, by the way, just a total side note here. Notice that God instructed Adam before he even created Eve. So some of us who have gotten that a little bit backwards sometimes, thinking that Eve was the one who caused all of the problems. No, that's not the the truth. Both accountable in that. But we see that they are created. And they are created equally and loved equally and valued by God. And so as we get to this text from 22 and following in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things that can sometimes uh, has been misunderstood is that this is some uh, uh, speaking of an inequality amongst men and women. There is not an inequality, but there is a unique design why Adam would look upon Eve and recognize the difference, who she was, how God had created her perfectly perfectly in the way that he intended. And so God has created male and female, men and women with unique gifts and a unique design to bring him glory. And in marriage, there's an opportunity for the man and woman to come together and to be called one flesh in this new creation in marriage is a beautiful picture, brings God's glory to bear. God creates us equally as men and women differently, but equally with complementary gifts. Gifts to serve and to bless and to help one another. And so this is what Paul expounds on as he has said, as Jesus is making all things new and the world is being reoriented to the way that God intended it all the way back in the garden, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to the Lord, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Do you hear that quote from Genesis? This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul gets to this relationship of husband and wife. And what we have to have in mind is we have to have our view of what we are called to do as husbands and wives in that context of the whole letter in this restoration of all things. Christian husbands and wives are a visible demonstration of what God is doing, this being made new. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor, I have the opportunity to do this periodically, is to walk with a young couple before they are married, talking to them about what God is doing in their lives, not just individually, but as God has united them and what he is going to do through them, the ministry that he has given them as husband and wife. Such a joy to walk through this because when God brings the two of us together as husbands and wives, we get to go out into the world to demonstrate this mystery, as Paul describes it, of the gospel at work. If you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian is, guess what? you will not happily submit to Christ or anyone. You will not defer to anyone. This is why the Bible puts such an emphasis, by the way, on couples being equally yoked, as it describes, being both Christians as they come together in marriage. Because without that, this call to defer and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that will never happen. There will be a constant battle. Now, I realize that some of you are in those types of relationships, and I'm going to address that in a few moments. But if you are young and you are not yet married, if you are dating, let me exhort you, plead with you, beg you, do not marry someone if you are a Christian who is not a Christian. Do not marry someone as a missionary. Let the Holy Spirit work on their life and bring them to faith in Christ and then get married. But it is a challenging thing. And God can redeem all those things, and he often has. There's testimony after testimony of how God has worked in those stories. And so I'm not belittling those, but I want to exhort you to do that. I tell my sons, and I will tell you as people that I love, if the person that you are dating right now doesn't love Jesus and doesn't cause you to love Jesus more, then you should end the relationship today if you're a Christian. That's how much it matters. Love them and do that. Their love for Jesus and their love for you should be equal. So as we live this out in our lives, 
what, is, what are we instructed to do? First, he begins, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He, again, he connects this to this reverence for Christ. Now, the culture hates this verse. I can't tell you how many times that I've uh, been at a wedding or, or talked with, a, again, a young couple that's preparing to be married, and they don't really want to go there. They don't like this because, again, this idea of submission to authority is something that is hard. And especially in our context, the idea of a woman submitting to a man seems to be something completely out of left field for many. But I want you to hear what the Word of God says. It says that you are wives to submit to your own husbands. This is not in any way a calling to submit to all men. That is not what God is saying here. And that's what the culture is sort of superimposed upon this text to say that this is saying that wives or women are less than men and that they are called to submit to men and all men. But that is not what it says. It says that you are to submit to your own husbands. Now I want to ask, When you listen to the culture that tells you, ladies, you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to speak in a certain way, who are you submitting to in that moment? You're not submitting to your own husband, you're submitting to the culture, a culture that by and large for a lot of human history thus far has been mainly led by men, men in authority. And so if you think about that, You're submitting your lives to all the men of the world and what all the men of the world would say about you as you think of that and that's your primary aim, thinking of what the world has to say, what the culture has to say about you. Look this way, do these things, dress this way, talk this way, put this out on your Instagram, make your TikToks look like this. All of those things is, in a sense, a submission saying that I need to do something in order for the world to accept me. But what God's Word says is that you should submit to your own husband, your own husband, out of reverence to Christ. God has always, his ways are higher than our ways, and his ways are always for our good. So again, if you're a young lady hearing this, watching this, you wait until you meet the man who you see a love for Jesus in, who you see submitting your life completely to the Lord, and then you submit your life to him. This is the one man who I will happily give my life to and join in the work of building the kingdom of God in whatever you might do. Whatever you might do, you've been given a ministry. And God, in his sovereignty, should he lead you to be married, has given you the opportunity to join together to present this mystery. Now, again, I want to just be clear. This is not saying that the husband is of greater value to God than the wife. This is saying that there is an order of things. The husband and the wife are called to different roles, called to live out differently. And husbands, we will be called and held accountable to lead and shepherd and care for our wives and our families. But for our wives... There's this call to joyful submission that resembles your joyful submission to Christ. This is not something oppressive, friends. This is a happy submission to the husband as the leader of the family, just as all believers submit to Christ, as it is said, is the head of our church, the head of the church. 
And so that's what he, that's really the, the short instruction that he gives to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And then he connects that to our submission to Christ. Just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I know many of you are asking this, and sadly, I realize many of you live this life out. What about husbands who don't lead, aren't faithful to what Christ has commanded them to be? Perhaps husbands who are not yet Christians, who lead out of power rather than lead out of love. I first want to say, if you are a husband who can hear my voice, and that is you, if you don't know Christ, I would plead with you to submit your life to Christ just as your wife has. Look to her and see the life she leads, the joy that she has in the way that she leads in spite of those challenges. If, however, you're a husband who claims the name of Christ and you lead out of this idea of power or authority, or you use this verse to say that you have something over your wife, you lord it over her, rather you living out of love, Jesus would say to you, woe to you. That is not the command that he has given you. Woe to any husband who does anything to his wife that is not driven out of a call to love and serve her as Christ loved and served the church. I want to remind you, brother, you are messing with a daughter of the king. I don't have daughters. But many of you know if you have daughters, those teenage girls, young ones running around, you know that I care for them like my own. And if I knew, if I had a daughter and my son or if one of my sons was doing something harmful to a daughter of yours, it would not go well for him. We need to remember, men, that we are called to love our wives. And we're going to get to that. He's, Paul's going to expound upon that in a moment. But we need to remember who we are called to love and how we are called to love. And again, lest you think that Jesus is unaware of the pain or the suffering or the challenges that you might deal with. I want to remind you of the woman at the well or the woman who was accused of uh, adultery or any other, the woman who uh, came to Jesus just to touch the cloak of his garment to be healed from sickness. Why does Jesus step in in these moments? Why does he speak to the woman that culture says he should never speak to? Why does he step in and stop the stoning of the woman who was rightly accused of adultery? Why? Because the authority was being misused. The authority that God had given was being misused and he was coming in to correct that and saying no. Why did Jesus ultimately turn over the tables in the temple? Because the authority was being misused, was being wrongfully applied. And so Jesus is very aware of when men do harm to his daughters and do the wrong thing and do not lead and love them the way that he has called them to do and he steps in. And so... This is not a call when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands to just do nothing. This isn't a call to submit into sinfulness. This isn't a, a call to submit to his wickedness or any of those things. This is a call to submit to Christ. And if you are able to walk with Jesus and lean on Jesus and trust him in the midst of this, 
into whatever you're facing. Now, I do also want to say that if you find yourself in harm's way, you flee. There's no room for that. Proverbs says it twice. If you find yourself in harm's way, flee. The prudent one sees danger and they flee. Proverbs 27, 12, I believe that is. Jesus, by the way, when he's rejected at Nazareth and the people come for him and they're chasing him to the, the, the foot of the hill and they're wanting to drive him off to kill him because of what he has done, he's declared himself to be God. What does he do? He flees. He walks through them in their midst. And so this isn't a call to just stay in harm's way. But if you're not in harm's way and you just are struggling to deal with a husband who does not love you as Christ has commanded him to, who perhaps is not a Christian, 1 Peter chapter 3 would instruct you to live for Christ, to be obedient to Christ, and to be peaceable allowing the Lord to do his work. And he says that, that so often, and I've seen the testimony of this, countless husbands who have been won to faith in Christ through the faithfulness of their wives, as they have seen their wives love Jesus and submit to Jesus and follow him and pursue him. And the Holy Spirit miraculously has brought new life into that family. And then seeing the flourishing that comes when that happens. So no, this isn't a call to submit to wickedness. This isn't a call to submit to all the men of the world. This is a call to submit to your own husbands, husbands that love you, serve you, minister to you, do all of the things that God has called us to do as husbands. And for those of you that are struggling in that relationship, I would encourage you to pray. Pray every day for your husband. If you're not married, pray for the future husband that you will have, that God has set apart for you. Lean into your church family. Again, this is why Paul says that the church is so critical, why he's given us the church. This church family is the family, by the way, that's eternal. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And know that God does not waste your pain or your tears. He sees it all. And this momentary affliction will not compare with the weight of glory that is waiting for you. That's the hope that you have. But as wives in healthy relationships, healthy Christian homes, your calling is to live this out, to submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, he then turns to husbands in verse 25. And he says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives. Now, it's interesting, by the way, when we get to this, he doesn't call on the wives to submit to your own husbands and then tell the husbands to rule their wives. That's not the counter here. He says, as they live for me, as they submit to my authority, as they defer to me, you husbands, love your wives as I loved you, as I lay down my life for you. Paul wrote this letter, and he knew by the way, as he wrote this letter, there would be nothing um, new about this idea, this command that he was giving women to submit to men. That was a cultural norm. Now, wives submitting to their own husbands out of reverence for the Lord, that's something new. But here, what Paul says to husbands, this is radical. 
This is a complete change in the human relationships. When he says earlier that you're no longer to walk as Gentiles do, essentially don't do anything like the way you used to do it. Live completely for Christ. He is, as he gets to husbands, he is hitting this nail on the head. That we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. God in putting, in a sense, what he is doing, even though the world has taken these verses and put them backwards, he is putting things in their rightful place. Wives, submit to your husbands as they die to themselves. Men, do you see the visible picture here? We are to lay down our lives. We are to get low. We are to be humble. We are to be servants. We are to consider our wives greater than ourselves. Now, can you imagine this picture? A wife who joyfully and happily submits to the spiritual leadership and headship of her husband as her husband is constantly trying to get below her, below her, and below her, and be less than, and serve, and love her, and, and lay down his life for her. Can you imagine the game that that looks like? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm gonna, That's a mature Christian family. That's a mature Christian marriage. I'm sorry if you lost me in the camera there. This is what the Christian marriage is called to look like. What God is doing here is he's putting women back in their rightful place, the place of honor, the place of esteem. Remember that it's the same God who calls on wives to submit to their own husbands who says, he who finds an uh, an excellent wife, or he says, an excellent wife who can find in Proverbs. And he says that the wife is far more precious than jewels. Do you consider your wives that way? Far more precious than jewels. Here's a test. We don't, most of us at least, don't collect jewels. That's probably something that one of you do. (laughs) But most of us, that's not our means of capital. We don't do gold and all those things any longer. But money, your possessions, Your job, men, so many of us, our identities completely captured by what we do, what we earn, the authority that we claim and believe we have over the world. And God says, no, your wife is more precious than any earthly possession you could ever have. She is excellent and she she deserves the place of honor and esteem. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that is the calling for the Christian man, is to give our lives for our wives. It says in this verse that he died for her, and then he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That we, we in a sense, Jesus through his word, has cleansed us and and sanctifies us, makes us more holy. And as husbands, there's this mystery of as we love our wives, as we lay down our lives for our wives, that we give her a visible picture of Christ and that her holiness increases as we do those things. He then continues, it says that we're to treat our wives as our own body, to nourish our body. We nourish our bodies, we eat food, we take care of them. Most of us, at least we're called to. Some of us need to work on that a little bit, but that's all right, I'm I'm in the boat, they're with you. We nourish our bodies and we cherish our bodies. We think we do whatever it takes to protect our own lives, to save our lives. That is all in the way that we should treat our wives. In the same way, verse 28 says, in the same way husbands should love 
their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul is going back and forth between this picture of Christ and the church and the husband loving his life or loving his wife and laying down his life for her. And so he's making this mysterious connection between this human relationship. Again, back to the idea, 1 verse 9 and 10, uniting all things under him as the proper authority. We, as husbands, submit our lives to Christ, and we play the role that we are called to play uniquely as men when we do that when we love our wives in that way, when we die to our wives. I once had it, heard it described in this way. Pastor Matt Carter from Austin Stone down in Austin, Texas, he was t- speaking on marriage and, and, he, and he described the story of how he, uh, he loved to you know, take care of his wife and, and, and do all the different things that she might like and, and tried to you know, love her as God would call him to love her. But one of the things that Matt is uh, evidently not good at, doesn't quite enjoy, is uh, writing letters and, and sort of the handwritten note. But he, early on, after he had cleaned the house and done all other sorts of things, his wife came home and, and he kind of realized that she wasn't... Uh, as excited as he had hoped that she might be. And, and through that, she described him and just said, well, you, just, you never say anything to me. You, know, you're, you don't ever use words. And so he learned, he said, that he had to write notes. That was the way that his wife received his love the most, is through his words, through his written word. And so he described, he said, to this day, I pull out my pen, I pull out a note card, and I die to myself, and I write her a note telling her how much I love her. Now, I don't know all of your wives, but I know my wife. And I know that I could write all of the most eloquent and beautiful words that I actually enjoy to do those things. She does not really care that much. All she wants is a clean house. She wants plates taken up off the counter, things put away. That's the way that she feels love. And guess what I don't do well? In the mystery of God, I really don't care about paper plates being on a counter. So on a daily basis, I have to choose. I have to be intentional and I have to say I die to myself and I clean up. I do what I can to serve her. It might be something small like that, brothers. It might be something much larger than that. I don't know, but what I do know is that God has called us to love our wives sacrificially. And as we do that, we present a picture of Christ. And that's why... As he closes, and I am wrapping up, don't worry, in verses 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, quoting Genesis. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. God, in the garden, created marriage for men and women to live in perfect union with one another, and he oversaw that marriage and instituted it and said, as they live in perfect union with one another, they will reflect my glory more perfectly, and as they submit their lives to me, as Paul says here, it's, this is a mystery, a picture of the church. He is giving a visible display of God's intended purposes in the world through a husband and wife. He is saying that he gave us marriage. It is very much for our good, but it is ultimately for his glory. 
And so, husbands, when we don't live up to this calling to lay down our lives for our wives in the way that we do that to paint a picture of Christ in the church, we're not giving the proper glory to God as we don't lead out of love and service so that our wives can happily submit to that spiritual headship and leadership. We are not doing the things that bring the most glory to God. Wives, as you rebel against the love and service of your, of your, uh, uh, your husband and trying to follow the Lord and, and you decide, no, I'm going to do my own thing and aren't willing to be a union with one another, you also, you're de- 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 depleting the glory of God that is intended to be on display in marriage. A husband and a wife living this mystery out, the mystery which is profound, they will flourish. Remember, God intends for us to flourish. He does. He gives us these instructions and sometimes they feel like rules. Yes, he exercises authority over us, but it is always for our good. But more important than that, We have a chance to display the gospel to a lost and perhaps very broken world. Husbands and wives, I tell every couple before I marry them, you are going to go into the world, into places that I will never have an opportunity to preach, proclaim, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to go there. And you might, you will use words, you will speak that gospel, but as your friends your family, as they look on you, they will see you have an opportunity to be a visible display of the gospel to them, to paint this picture of a husband who, like Christ, lays down his life and a wife as the church submits to the lordship of Jesus. This is what God intended for marriage to look like for our good, but ultimately for his glory. And I pray that our relationships would look that way. I pray for every young ear that has heard this message that you might consider what God intends your future marriage to look like. And would you live it out for his glory and his glory alone? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need your help for this calling in our lives to be manifested, to be real our flesh rebels against anything that says we can't just do whatever we want to do as I've already confessed and so I pray that you would move with power in our lives would you allow city church marriages to be um, a reflection of your gospel in a powerful way I pray for husbands that we would learn more and more day after day how we are to love our wives as you loved us, Jesus. Show us how to lay down our lives moment by moment, day by day. Show us how to best bless and serve our wives. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.